Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our guest segment. We got such a huge response uh, when we did that Easter special. And one of the segments we played was an interview from about five years ago with Dr. Gary Habermas. And the audio quality was not that great because it was a copy of a copy from when I was back on the radio network. And now we're commercial free and it's all digital audio and all that good stuff. And so we we wanted to invite him back because you love that interview. So we thought we would update it. And for those watching on the video feed, I'm holding the book up right here. The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. And uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, good to have you back with us, sir. Well, I'm glad to be with you. It's a good time of the year, and it's a great topic. Yes, uh, absolutely. And and people loved that interview uh, during Easter. And I, I want to just start out by asking you uh, this book, which what I loved about it is it has the disc in the back with all the additional resources. Is this book still available in this format with the, the CD and all of that available as part of it? Well, the CD part is a good question. I've heard... That, that Well, that CD was put together when the book came out. It's still backed with uh, whatever the online backing is. I don't, I don't deal with that stuff, but I couldn't answer that. The book is definitely still in print and doing well. Yeah, it could be that the publisher may have gone to a, like, you know, here's your secret password to log in and get the resource, resources online, which is kind of what everything is moving to. Everything is online. I'm always a physical guy. I like to have my hands on stuff. But uh, in any case, exactly. uh, the the resurrection of of Jesus, um, you know, it, it I, I think many people um, think of it in terms of a story, you know, like like it's it's a story of mythology from the past. And I think they get away with that because they start with with the first premise uh, that Jesus may not have even been a real person that even really walked the earth. And and, and we got into this before and I want to get into that with you in a minute. But um, I, I wanted to ask you what you thought about. I don't know if you uh, heard the interview at all that we did um, on the Shroud of Turin, which I honestly think is like the most exciting thing I've ever thought of. I mean, the idea that we could actually have, if it's if it is the burial cloth of Christ and um, everything we got into with uh, Mr. Marino and all of that, which I know that you know him. Uh, did, did you have yeah. any thoughts on the Shroud of Turin yourself? Well, I've co-authored two books on the subject. Okay. And my co-author, Ken, Ken Stevenson, was the editor and original original editor and spokesman for the team of scientists that did the investigation years ago. And he, he's a friend of uh, Joe's, too, Joe Marino. In fact, Ken did a forward for uh, a recent book by Joe. So, you know, all of us, all three of us know each other among many other people. 
Yeah. So, so what do you make of the Shroud of Turin? Are you, are you convinced? Well, I tell people, I don't think the evidence of the Shroud is as good as the evidence for the, the historical argument. Yet, I think the argument for the Shroud is very provocative. And I think there's a pretty good chance that it could be the Baragon Regis. I know that that's uh, contrary to some scholars today. It's pro many other scholars today. In fact, a major article that was published uh, just a number of months ago uh, in an Oxford journal, uh, Archaeochemistry, uh, by a friend, Tristan Castabanca, the one of the uh, Shroud uh scholars completely threw the carbon 14 into a the 88 carbon 14 into a scramble because working with some major statisticians they showed that you can't do what was done in 1988 with the dates that were cranked out from the three laboratories that's that's probably a little more data than what you want but what i'm saying is some of the uh medical and scientific data are exceptionally intriguing, and many scholars continue to say so today. The most exciting part of the interview with uh, Joseph Marino was when he talked about the image on the the on the cloth and and how it might have gotten there. And he got into this whole presentation where he got to the point that there was not enough energy on the, the entire planet of earth that could have created that imprint. And I mean, I, I just had chills. I mean, I, I literally started tearing up uh, during that interview because I thought, you know, my goodness, you know, what a merciful God to leave us something else uh, to look at uh, like this. Uh, and, and that was just incredible. But I want to, st- I want to start like we did the last time and we're commercial free now. So we don't have to worry about, Oh, it's 10 minutes. Uh, we got to go to another three minute commercial. <laughs> we don't got to, we don't have to right. do that anymore. Um, I want to start with, with Jesus of Nazareth and, and there is a, a, a movement. And I know we talked about it last time to basically erase Jesus from history. And what a lot of people do not know is that Jesus of Nazareth, the person is a, is a real person in history. And this is, this can be proven from outside of just the Bible. If you're someone that says, well, you, you, you want to throw the Bible out of that equation. There are other, uh, records that would prove, uh, his, his existence as a person. And I think we have to start there. So, so what evidence is there that Jesus is not just a made-up story? Well, you know, someone I often cite is the New Testament atheist, uh, Bart Ehrman, who's a, well, New Testament professor, and and uh, he probably, he's probably the best-known critical scholar in North America. And, and, and I must say, he, he has stated fairly um a good amount of New Testament data, even though he doesn't agree, obviously, with with conservative Christians, he brings a lot of evidence to the table. And one of these, I'll just give you one example. He argues that the evidence for Jesus's crucifixion is he produces 15 independent sources for the crucifixion of Jesus, all within 100 years of Jesus's death. And if you ever study this in history, 100 years within a hundred years is a very short time in ancient history. When you compare the best known biographies of Alexander the Great 
to being uh, 425 to 450 years later. The uh, I've got a, a a source over here on my shelf by a PhD Buddhist who says that his sources that he reproduces in his book are 600 to 800 years after Buddha died. So uh, the evidence for Jesus, and I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just saying people who say 100 years or 75 years or 50 years for this or that gospel, they're just not in ancient history. The the ancient data are very, very impressive. But back to Bart Ehrman, he says, of the thousands of accredited scholars, now by that I mean preferably somebody with a terminal degree, like a PhD or equivalent, in a relevant field, New Testament, theology, classics, history, archaeology, philosophy, some kind of discipline that can bring something to this study. He says he does not know of a single one who teaches in any accredited college, seminary, or university, religious or non-religious. He does not know of a single scholar, accredited scholar, I have to emphasize that, who argues that Jesus never lived. Now, he says there are a couple well-known scholars who have good credentials, who hold that view. But he said the thing is, they don't teach in one of those three, uh, they don't teach in accredited college, university, or seminary. So the professors, no matter how far to the left or right they are, and I could give you many examples, uh, wholly endorse the historicity of Jesus. Wasn't there a, a Bart uh, a Bert Ehrman book that actually was called that or something? The the his, the did Jesus exist or something along those lines? Yes, the existence of Jesus, and uh, I've used it in my graduate classes. I want my uh, grad students. I teach only at the PhD level, and I want my students to teach to, to read um, all sides. And I've required Bart, and he will say. On a few pages, he'll say the New Testament Gospels are not reliable. And then he'll turn around and tell you a number of areas in which the New Testament is reliable. I'm not saying he's inconsistent. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, in the midst of not thinking the Gospels are reliable, I mean, generally reliable, like evangelicals say, he says there are still a lot of places where they're reliable, and they're very, very important places. Those 15 sources that I mentioned that he says— uh argue for the crucifixion of Jesus within the first hundred years after Jesus, which is the amount of time he allows. Those sources are present in the New Testament, outside the New Testament, outside the New Testament in Christian writings, outside the New Testament in non-Christian writings. And one of the things that we know about Jesus that was unique is he really sets this whole situation up uh, in a way that if he were not really the Messiah, um, Christianity would not have continued because he was, was he the only religious leader that, that came out and said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried and I'm coming back, uh, to, to set that up as, as sort of this is what's going to happen. Um, and then if that doesn't happen, uh, we all go back to our regular lives because this is what he himself said. Uh, would happen. It wasn't. This could happen. It, it might happen. Uh, he doesn't mention it, but but maybe people assume it. He, Jesus really set this up that if he did not come back after the crucifixion, 
Christianity was probably not going to continue. Well, yeah, I mean, you could cite the Apostle Paul, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our faith is vain. And he says that, Paul says that two times. He uses a different Greek word each time, but the Greek words basically mean empty, useless, fruitless, without basis, without foundation. And Paul says uh, the the resurrection is what makes Christianity go. Bart Ehrman, back to Bart, he even says that it is the belief in Jesus' resurrection that founded the church. Without the disciples' belief that they saw the risen Jesus, there would be no church. And that's Bart Ehrman speaking. So that's another example of where he might say, no, I don't accept all the Gospels, but there are a number of major things there that have pretty good evidence for him. And that those are a couple of them, crucifixion and the disciples' belief that they saw the risen Jesus. Because if if you're looking at this through the eyes of the disciples and your leader, Jesus, is put up on a cross and is crucified, you got to think to yourself, well, maybe maybe this isn't a good idea for me to be part of this whole thing. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Uh, the, you know, look at the, yeah. look, this sure. is the this is the top guy. And, and, and I've seen him. I've seen him perform miracles. You know, I, I've seen amazing things. And, and, and he seems like he could be the son of God. But but there he is up on the cross. Uh, maybe this isn't a good movement for me to be a part of, because if they would yeah. do this to Jesus, uh, I'm definitely going to be on the short list uh, of, of who they're coming <laughs> for next. Uh, so so in light of yep. that, it would take something pretty amazing uh, to make those people say, I don't care if you're coming for me next. I'm staying in this. That's correct. That is correct. And and I there are very few critical scholars. Now, when I say critical scholars, I go back to my definition, a critical so- scholar, somebody who has a terminal degree or equivalent, and one of those relevant fields that I named doesn't make any difference how liberal or conservative they are. They could be atheist New Testament scholars. They could be skeptical, highly skeptical New Testament scholars. They could be Jewish, non-Christian skeptical scholars. Um, they could believe, believe other religions, but they're going to tell you that, as Bart Ehrman said, uh, Christ died according to the crucifixion, and his followers believed that they saw him alive again later. There is virtually no dispute about that um, among these trained uh, scholars. Now, the gospel account is that uh, the, the government basically, uh, especially the Jewish leaders and then also the Roman government. But Jesus was sort of marked as, as a troublemaker. He was coming in uh, saying he was the son of God. He was upsetting all the religious rulers. Uh, Rome uh, didn't like uh, what was going on. Uh, they were sort of observing this and they were they were upset for different reasons. But but in the end, uh, they wanted to get rid of him. And crucifixion was the path that they took. Now, you know, one of the questions that comes up is how could they possibly allow for the body to be stolen? Because this is one of those kind of conspiracy theories. Maybe it was the very first conspiracy theory of all conspiracy theories that Jesus uh, didn't really rise from the dead, but they snuck in during the night and stole his body. And then it, it, it appeared as if the tomb was empty. Uh, but, but that couldn't have happened because 
uh, there was there was a lot riding on Jesus staying dead and nothing like that uh, uh, being able to be pulled off. Isn't that right? Well, there would be a whole bunch of places that that story would detour. Uh, one of them, is, a major one, is that as important as the empty tomb is, let's just say for the moment that someone stole the body. The belief in the resurrection of Jesus was not founded by the tomb being uh, emptied. The major reason, again, across the board, if you take these critical scholars, no matter how liberal or conservative, the main impetus for believing Jesus was raised, where there are there were a bunch of people running around, both singly and in groups, who claimed to have seen Jesus after his death. In other words, they claimed to have seen post-mortem appearances. That's what did it. And then, see, see at first, you know, the, the women were going to the tomb, and we're told in both Luke and John that men made the trip later, but that seems to be kind of a, it took a little while for that story to get around on that, you know, first day, because uh, before they could even get settled there, Jesus appears to them on that same day. And if you said, what would, what would uh, make you more pleased if you were a disciple, hearing that the body's gone? or believing you saw Jesus again standing right in front of you. And I think most people would say, well, look, hey, the empty tomb is good, but things can happen in empty tombs. I, I mean, you know, no evidence it did, but that's not as clear as him standing right in front of me when everybody knew he was dead. And that's how the faith started, was the appearances. Now, I'm not trying to put down the empty tomb. It's a good, it's a good piece of data, and there's a lot of evidence for it. There's almost two dozen historical little snippets, the way critics think, the way critics do the work, almost two dozen pieces of information on the empty tomb. Most scholars will allow the empty tomb, but it's the appearances uh, that are the most earth-shaking, because if you saw somebody who you knew was dead as dead can be, and they're standing right there in front of you, doing whatever it is they're doing, and especially if there are multiple people around that is pretty hard to explain away, and that's the main truth that the uh, church is built on. In fact, I might just say quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the most discussed resurrection passage in the New Testament, when Paul gives the data for the gospel, he says in the first two verses, 1 Corinthians 15, when I came to you folks, I preached the gospel. Now, from other definitions in the New Testament, we know that that involved the deity, death, resurrection of Jesus, the belief in those three things. But Paul doesn't even mention the empty tomb the first time. He mentions the uh, that Jesus died for our sins, according, he said, calls him Christ. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and appeared. Now, a lot of people say, and I think correctly, that if you have a person who died and was buried and then was raised, you kind of have an empty tomb because you have what goes down is what came out. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I understand that. But Paul doesn't even mention empty tomb. He goes right, I mean, right. literally straight. He goes right for the appearances. Now, one of the uh, conspiracy theories is also that Jesus didn't really die. Uh, they put him up on a cross. Uh, he had, you know, all of the torture that went along with crucifixion. But somehow, as a human being, he survived that and was put in uh, the tomb 
but but actually was maybe close to being dead, but didn't actually completely die and then recovered. And that was how he was able to uh, uh, continue on and make these appearances. It was not a resurrected Jesus. It was just a Jesus that hadn't actually completely died yet. Yeah, he was mostly dead, not really dead. Right. Because <laughs> um, he was in bad shape. Well, the problem with that is, first of all, we do not measure facts by by a popularity context. We don't say survey says, and here's how many people believe. But even on the skeptical side, you almost never find that theory taken. And when you say, well, what does that prove? People can be wrong. That's true. But if critics don't like a theory, that generally shows you that there's reasons they don't like the theory. And the reasons are what's going on. Let me just give you an example. Uh, we read in the book of John that when Jesus died, he was stabbed in the side and because he was already dead, so they didn't break his ankles. That's a story we hear in John. Well, there's a Roman author named Quintilian, and Quintilian is discussing the subject. Can we give the bodies of the crucified to their relatives or friends to bury? And Quintilian says, when the crosses are taken down and burned or whatever, and the bodies are taken off of them. He said, we don't deny the dead bodies to the family as long as they've been pierced. He says, they pierced them or struck them. The Latin can mean either. The Latin word is percussus. And uh, John, John Cook, a, gr a great uh, crucifixion expert, makes the comment that that word in Latin that you would strike the dead bodies before you would give them to their families. Um, he said that that word is a military term and it is al almost always used of uh, swords, axes, or a spear being used. And of course, that's exactly what John claimed. So th there's one, a, a death blow. Number two, this would take a long time, but the evidence of what happened to Jesus on the cross that he was totally dead before the spear wound. Three, Here's the main reason the so-called uh, swoon theory uh, or the apparent death theory failed. Jesus would be in a horrible shape. If he died traditionally on the afternoon, he appears on Sunday, and he's had his feet, the weight of his body, resting on nails, which is by far the most common way the Romans crucified, with nails. If he rests on those nails for a day and a half, let's say, you don't just get up and go play tag on Sunday morning. You don't get up and start walking in a straight line. And, and if you've been beat up and whipped first, normal for crucifixion, if you've been stabbed later, well, that's, that's pretty bad. You don't walk to where the disciples are. If you do, you don't hold your hands up and say, fellas, I told you I'm the risen Lord of life. Well, here I am. You're looking at me. And, and they said, you know, it's been said that one of the, one of the disciples who looked over to the other one and whispered in his ear, to use a 60s phrase, he looks more like death warmed over, not the resurrected son of God. So the phrase is, they would have got a doctor before they proclaimed him risen. That's the main reason he's got to be dead, is because you couldn't pull off the belief that you're resurrected if you are really, really sickly, and explain how he wouldn't be right afterwards. Now, one of the things we know about Jesus, um, because he's unique 
among all religious leaders of all the various religions. Is there any other religious leader that said, I'm going to be be killed and I'm coming back to life? Um, of all the world religions, because some people would say, well, you know, uh, all, all the religions, uh, say this, you know, all, all of the world religions have, have a leader that, that dies and comes back to life. That, that's sort of a, a standard narrative of the so-called myth of, of these religions. Uh, but, but that's not true, is it? It is not. In fact, if you take the historical founders, of the historical world religions, the biggest named religions, let's say six or eight of them around the world, the orthodox followers of those religions do not claim that their founder was raised from the dead. So, I mean, who would you talk about? Um, Moses, David, Daniel in the Old Testament. Um, Muhammad, uh, Krishna, Buddha, Zoroaster, Lao Tzu, of Taoism, none of those religions believe their founders were raised from the dead. You say, well, that sounds like Christian prejudice. Well, if that's true, then you go study their books and you tell me which one is believed by the Orthodox followers to be raised from the dead. And if Jesus was a fraud and he was not going to be resurrected, why would he set that up as the scenario um, for his followers to have that expectation? Uh, if he was just, uh, you know, uh, James Jones of Guyana, who was just kind of a crazy guy who said, you know, I'm the son of God and, you know, follow me and, you know, I may pay with my life, but then kind of left it at that. But he really sets this whole situation up uh, to be either able to deliver on that or not. And, and the resurrection is what makes Christianity so unique. Is it not? It is. In fact, on my website, GaryHabermas.com, I have an article uh, published years ago with the, um, one of the syndicated articles from uh, Cambridge university press. And it's called resurrection claims in non-Christian religions. And I make two claims. The first one I just said, no founder of a major world religion believes the Orthodox followers, uh, Orthodox founder was raised from the dead outside of Christians. And I go back to Bart Ehrman, the belief that this was raised is, is not just true of Christianity, it's the center of Christianity. And second, even if you get some obscure guy who's believed to be living again later, there's no evidence. So on the second case with some obscure prophet or somebody somewhere, that's a real risky uh, claim in itself. But even that one, you're left with the kind of things critics say you're not supposed to have, which is some kind of claim for which there's no evidence. But when you talk about Jesus, he's the only founder of a major world religion, and the evidence is quite strong. I mean, I could give chapter and verse for any number of people. Um, I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, a major uh, historical Jesus scholar, E.P. Sanders, who taught at both Oxford and Duke before he retired, Sanders, who calls himself a liberal, Sanders says that it's very well established and accepted by scholars that Jesus was seen after his crucifixion. And wow. then he says twice, in what form he was seen, 
I'm not prepared to answer that question. He doesn't want to get into the kind of bodies and all that kind of thing. But he says that that scholarship allows the appearances. Now, I actually think he's going a little bit overboard there. I think he's stating it a little too conservative. The only thing is he's not conservative. He calls himself a liberal. Uh, one other example, just a name, uh, Pincus Lapid, a, 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 a Jewish New Testament scholar, Ph.D. New Testament, uh, he wrote a book called The Resurrection of Jesus, A Jewish Perspective, hmm. and he's still Jewish. He said, I haven't become a Christian, but he believes and argues in this book that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he argues that we have eyewitness testimony for the resurrection. Wow. So, I mean, I could go on. The, the, the data are quite well established. But to go back to your question, you're not going to find that for Orthodox followers, uh, Orthodox founders of other religions. Now, as we close it out here, I, I'm going to hit you with my final question, and then we want to take a, a minute or two and have you tell us about your website or any other resources that you have. But as far as evangelism goes, um, if you're somebody that becomes familiar with just you know, a little bit of this history, um, especially the the uh, history outside of the Bible account for people that reject the Bible. Um, you know, how hard is it for the layman to sort of wrap their brain around this enough to take someone from, well, Jesus was actually a person that lived in history and then sort of walk down this path of how do we then explain uh, the disciples going to horrible deaths and continuing on, and Christianity continuing on, um, it, 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 it's an implausible thought that any of this would have continued on, especially when Jesus sort of set the table for what he told them was going to happen, this remarkable claim that he was going to come back from the dead. Um, if people get this book and, and, and go through these resources, is it your thought that this is, is a tremendous uh, tool for evangelism today? Uh, you mean the you mean the case of the resurrection of Jesus? Right, exactly. Yeah, Michael McCone and I wrote that. With, I think what is it? First chapter, second chapter. It's called History One Hundred and One, and we try to tell people how do you build an historical case. It, it's a heady kind of book. I mean, there's there's well over a hundred pages of footnotes for anybody who wants to read those. But it is made to be a teaching tool for those who want to show others. Uh, or talk about to others about the claims of Christianity. Um, so it does use the historical sources uh, that way. One thing I would say, on the death of the apostles, we only have the, the martyrdoms of a few of the apostles recorded real early. But that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Uh, in the first century alone, of the of the three big names who get together in Jerusalem in Galatians chapter one, which is a meeting the critics accept, and that's Paul, Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus, we have first century data for their martyrdoms. All three, all three accounts of their martyrdoms are outside the New Testament. So we do have really good evidence that Christians not only turned the world upside down, their lives not only were transformed, but the big three from Galatians 1, uh, we're told that they all died as martyrs. Well, and, and even just the life of Paul, if people study 
what happened with Paul. And now here he is on the one hand, a persecutor of Christians. He witnesses even the stoning of Stephen uh, in, in the book of Luke, uh, in the book of Acts. And, and, and you see this account and you see what this man is. There's now this movement that Paul never existed. I don't know if you've heard that or not. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been around for a little while, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. If you go to a state university and talked about the same people that Barter was mentioning earlier, critics in their fields who have terminal degrees, no offense, but you wouldn't go to um, a person with a PhD in English literature to pull your tooth. Uh, we go to dental surgeons. We go to medical doctors. We go to uh, historians for something in history. If you go to relevant specializations with terminal degrees, say, New Testament, theology, history, classics, um, archaeology, philosophy, and you ask them, do we have data for some of these these crazy things? We hear a lot of crazy things in the press, but go ask the scholars. I can show you book after book after book where people who are either unbelievers or who call themselves liberals will tell you, that's just a joke, and they should know better than saying that stuff. Bart Ehrman goes off on them all the time. By the way, you mentioned earlier about Jesus being a uh, world. Uh, could could Jesus have, Jesus' story be stolen from other religions from pre-Christian times? Bart Ehrman treats that for twenty whole pages, and he says it's a joke. He totally says it's a joke. He says people were wandering around the ancient world, at least in stories. He says they disappear and come back but they didn't die. He said, uh, they do this or they do that, but what they don't do in the ancient world is die and then rise. He says, those stories, there are none of those stories before Jesus. And it's an amazing quote from him. And he says, we don't have pre-Christian. Sometimes you hear stories like uh, a couple dozen people died, called themselves the Messiah, were crucified and raised from the dead. Okay. I want somebody to give me accredited historical sources for any of those. I want to hear those. Right. Because Bart Ehrman goes off on 20 pages and says you're not going to find them. That's Bart Ehrman. You know, it's interesting to me uh, how little the church really teaches on what you have here in your book. Uh, we get, you know, the Palm Sunday, uh, you know, little sermonette. We get the Easter Sunday sermonette. Um, you know, we get a little bit on the, you know, the birth of Christ around Christmas. Uh, but to me, you know, and, and, you know, God love pastors. They do, you know, six weeks on marriage and six weeks on, you know, witnessing and thing, you know, just everyday thing, how to be a better work, you know, employee at, at your job and all that's great. But, but I can't imagine anything more important, not only to build our own faith for those of us that are believers, but also to evangelize, to understand uh, what really happened um, back in the time of Jesus. Uh, why do you think it is that uh, this topic isn't Really, you know, there's more, not more deep dives into this from the pulpit. I could think of several reasons. One would be uh, many, many pastors think they're, they're going to cite scripture and they'll preach from uh, Matthew 28. They'll preach from Luke 24, John 20, John 21, Acts chapter 1, verse 11 verses, or many other good passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 15, maybe the 
the best one. And that's what they know. That's how they're trained. So it's the material they're trained with. And if somebody puts them on the spot and says, what do we know from secular history? They're not, I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just saying, if you're not that much into a subject yourself, you don't lead people to ask you those kind of things. So that might be one. I'm sure the, the average Christian pastor thinks quoting the New Testament is enough. And when you say deep dives, for a lot of people, take that book you're talking about, Case for the Resurrection, um, they know where to get some basic evidence for this stuff. And they're, they're not going to go any deeper because they think that that's plenty deep for anybody asking questions. Somebody can always deny the resurrection. They can say, no way, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. But like I tell people, that's just a denial. You can answer it this way. Oh, yes, my friend, Jesus is raised from the dead. And they'll say, you're just affirming something you believe. And you say, well, what did you just do? I'm responding on the same level you are. If you just re- tell me about your faith, you told me you don't have it. I told you I have it. Now, if you want to talk about data, facts, history, let's do that. And I'm telling you what, if you know your stuff and you show you know your stuff, many times the person not even going to start talking about it. You know, uh, John Ankerberg used to have atheists on his program and he would say, wow, you must be really smart because you you must know everything to be able to conclude that there is no God, there is no creator. Um, and, and it really does. You know, when you start thinking about some of these strange theories like the swoon theory where he, he came close to death, but didn't actually die. You'd have to have more th- more faith to believe in something crazy like that than to believe in the resurrection. But uh, I'll tell you what. Right. It, it's always so fascinating to talk to you. Uh, someday I'd like to sit down and have a, a four-hour cup of coffee with you in person because <laughs> I've got so much more I'd like to get into. But I'm holding the book up for those that are watching on the video feed. Uh, tell us how they can get the book and any other newer books that you have out or any other resources. I know you have a website. Tell us about that. If you have any yeah. uh, upcoming uh, speaking engagements, and I guess you're also affiliated with Liberty university. If, if uh, any young people are uh, watching and they want to work all the way up to a PhD, they could possibly yeah. uh, have you as a professor. Yeah, I teach what I teach only at the PhD level. And one of my required courses I didn't even pick it. I didn't say you're all going to have this because it's my favorite course. The curriculum was set before I came into the, to it. And the, a course on the resurrection is a required course at the PhD level. They've got to, they've got to read the critics. They've got to interact with the critics. Matter of fact, one of the last times I taught the course, I bought one of the, I brought one of the best known atheists into the class and let them, um, uh, zoom in. And I promise the, the atheists are a friend of mine. No number of atheist scholars are friends of mine. And there's no reason we have to be, you know, enemies. But I brought this guy into class and I promised him that I would not interact. I, I want my PhD students to talk to him. And I think they went at it friendly, but I think they went at it for about two hours. <laughs> so that's an example of that. You talk about PhD students at that level. If there were no data for the resurrection, they'd run out of things to talk about real quickly. But to answer your question, I've got a website, GaryHabermas.com. Nothing is for sale there. So if they want that book, they'd have to go to Kriegel Books or Amazon, wherever you order books, uh, Kriegel Books and order the book. I don't sell it. And uh, I also have uh, a YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube and look up my name, Gary Habermas. I have over 100 videos. Now, that one's pretty new. That one's just going up. 
Uh, it's only been up mostly for just this year, 2021. Is but, that the one you're talking uh, when, about, the uh, the two-hour interaction with the atheist? No, that was actually in a Ph.D. class oh, okay. that I taught. Okay. So I brought him in to talk to my dozen students. Yeah. And uh, it was a good dialogue. It was a friendly dialogue. They enjoyed having him, and he told me he enjoyed uh, being there. Yeah, so interesting. That was just a dialogue. I do, have, I do have debates on the resurrection, like with Anthony Flew, the famous oh, okay. atheist. Uh, three times we debated. I can't say all three of them are on the website, but they could very well be there. Um, video. And then in the YouTube channel, they're there. So they can check that out. And like I said, everything's free. I don't push any of my stuff. I did. I have written your other question. I have written 40 something books. Wow. And half of my books are on the resurrection. So there's 22 books. And someone could say, well, how many times can you say it? Well, <laughs> that's because a lot of them are debates. Right. Some of them are popular treatments. Some of them are on burial. Some of them are on the appearances. They're all different in their own way. But uh, that's 20-something books on the resurrection. I'm working on a very large book on the resurrection right now, but unfortunately, it's going very slowly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to unpack. Uh, wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Yeah. Habermas, for being with us. Uh, God bless you. Keep up the good work, and uh, we hope you'll visit again. Well, thank you, Jim. It was very good. You asked good questions, and it's always nice. Not all interviewers ask great questions, and when they don't, you don't know how to stop and say, well, really, I never, I never really said that. You, know, you don't like to do that, but but I appreciate your good questions. Thank very you. good, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow. You know, that always just having him on, having the Shroud of Turin, um, uh, Joseph Marino on, and just talking about this, it really reminds you, right? I mean, I know people are watching tonight from all around the world and you, you know, we all have problems, right? Maybe some of you are watching tonight and you're struggling with get, where are you going to get the money to pay your bills for this month? Maybe some of you have, have health issues. You hate your job. Maybe there's problems in your marriage. Maybe there's problems with kids, whether they're minor children or adult children. We've all got, you know, bumpy stuff going on in our lives, right? But if you can kind of step back from all that and, and actually get this, that we serve a risen savior. Wow. Does that kind of give you a new way of looking at all of life's problems? And one of the reasons I, I'm excited about the resurrection is I always say, uh, if Christ could come back from the dead, then I have no problem that is too big, uh, for him to step in, uh, and solve for me. And, and I hope that, uh, you take that as a encouragement, uh, going into this week. And, and I really recommend this book. And if you're watching tonight and you're a pastor, why not do a, a series, you know, uh, take your, 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 your followers, you know, the people that are watching you online right now. I know a lot of churches are on zoom, take your congregants, the members of your church, take them through six weeks of this book. Uh, why we can know that Christ rose from the dead. What is the empirical evidence from history outside of the Bible wouldn't that fire people up? And uh, I know it's sort of that obligatory little sermonette we get on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Then we go on to, I call it a Ted Talk, Ted talk and a latte, uh, you know, at a lot of churches on Sunday morning. Uh, but what about a series, six weeks, eight weeks on on how we know, how we can know for sure? Uh, because look at it like this, uh, and I'll close it out with this thought. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer and, you know, you got to think like of all the reasons that you're a believer, 
right at the top of the list is that you yourself are going to be resurrected, right? So if if we don't believe that Christ is resurrected, how can we believe that we're going to be resurrected someday? Right. And uh, it, it does really bring our faith down to that one thing, because the resurrection is what it's all about. And we just we only talk about it on Easter, maybe Palm Sunday. Uh, but man, uh, it's all here for you. It's it's all here for you in this book. Lee Strobel has a great book out on this, but uh, I can't think of anything more exciting and instructive as a Christian than to study the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Thanks so much for being with us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.